The first black Republican to be elected to the Alabama state legislator, Representative Kenneth Paschal, comes in to tell us his story and his journey uh, to getting into the legislature and also what he's most passionate about uh, and getting accomplished in the legislature regarding family law. You don't want to miss it. You're being lied to more than any generation in the history of the world. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. We want to have good journalism that lasts. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Dawson, the host of the podcast and CEO of 1819 News, joined by my wonderful co-host, Ray Mellick, who is the editor-in-chief here at 1819 News. Ray, how are you? I'm good. Good Good to be with you again today on the, another podcast. Another podcast. We're in the 20s. We might yep. even be at 30 now. Wow. Just plugging along. Just plugging along. Keep going. Appreciate people downloading them, though. That's I right. am, I'm hearing from folks that... See it and like what we're doing, so that's yeah. fun. We haven't repulsed them with our yeah. <laughs> amazing looks. That's good. Well, um, we also have in studio with us Representative Kenneth Pascal. Is that, did I pronounce that right? Oh, Pascal. Pascal. That's yeah. what I said. That's what I said, right? Pascal. <laughs> Got it. Representative Kenneth Pascal uh, joining us to talk a little bit about his story um, on uh, getting into the legislature, specifically being the first black Republican to be elected to the legislature since Reconstruction, Really incredible, uh, sharp guy. I've gotten to know him uh, over lunch and hearing his heart and his passions um, and just thought he'd be a great guest. So, um, Representative Pascal, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation. I look forward to our conversation there. And, Ray, good to see you again. You as well. Yeah, we've known each other for a number of years and worked together on some stuff in the past. So uh, I'm a big fan of Kenneth. He knows you and he still came in. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> So uh, before we jump into the podcast, as always, want to tell everyone where they can find us. Uh, you can go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, what am I missing? YouTube. YouTube yeah. Go there, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. Um, click the bell there so that you get notifications when new podcasts are published so you don't miss out on anything. Uh, and the most important thing you can do if you've not done it is go to 1819news.com. In the very top in a red block will say subscribe. Click that. Put your email address in there. Uh, we're not going to sell your information. We're not charging you anything. It's absolutely free to sign up. You subscribe and you get the morning edition delivered to your inbox every morning, Monday through Saturday at 745 with all the news you need to know, all the opinions that matter, uh, and all the podcasts we've produced straight to your inbox uh, so that you can just grab a cup of coffee and learn everything you need to know that's going on in the state. Hey, your phone, your laptop, however you get your information, you can get it at 1819news.com. So just, uh, there you go. and you don't have to subscribe, but it really helps us if you do, and it helps you get it in your inbox instead of having to look it up every day. Uh, and the goal and the vision there is, is twofold. Um, old school traditional journalism is the spirit of what we're after, and the old school traditional newspaper was thrown in your front porch at you know 7 in the morning, 6 right. in the morning or whatever. So um, we're after that. But also, at the end of the day, social media um, giants, you know, Zuckerbergs and, and, and people like him don't want us getting our news to you and don't want you coming to us. And so there's algorithms and all these other things that keep the news from getting to you on those platforms. We're there. We have a strong presence on social media, but I never want to be dependent upon social media to get the news out. So that's why it's important you subscribe. And then if you have subscribed, tell everyone, you know, that they need to subscribe for <laughs> those reasons, uh, as well. So, yep. um, well, let's get started. We'll jump in and then make sure when you're talking that you're, I know, uncomfortable to, to jump up on the microphone. I know it's weird. Um, but um, 
So yeah, we always love to just get to know people. Um, tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your parents, your story. How'd you get here? Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, you know, I'm not that old, so I, uh, but, <laughs> but no, uh, I grew up in a little small town called Eclectic, Alabama. That's Man, in, that's my that's what's down my neck of the woods. Yeah. Now you're talking Elmore County. Yeah, Elmore County. Uh, I was born in Tuskegee, uh, okay. but uh, I was raised in Eclectic. And uh, my senior year, um, I really didn't know what I was going to do um, after high school, so I joined the military there. So let me, but let me go back to the yeah. Eclectic, you know. Uh, out in the country, we still have one light. We're proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I have a, a— It's what you do on Saturday night. Go watch the light change. Well, right? yeah. 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 <laughs> Sit on the front porch, wave at people there, you know. Yeah. Um, Try but, not to get pulled over because they'll get you in eclectic. Well, yeah, yeah, they will get you. You have to watch your speed there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, a, you know, it's five kids. You know, I'm uh, the next to the youngest. I have an uh, older brother, uh, three sisters. Um uh, raised by both parents, and uh, I'll say that because later on when we get to the, uh, the legislation, I kind of emphasize why that's so important, having yeah. two parents. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my mom, she's still living and still living eclectic. And, uh, we just spent a Memorial Day weekend. Um, I went, went back to eclectic. I think I did a, a, took a picture while I was driving through Slap Out mm-hmm. and, and showed it with people and everybody, hey, Slap Out, where's Slap Out at, you know? Slap Out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. That's where my pastor's from. He's from Slap Out. And I guess the story there, maybe you know, there's a hardware store and people would go into the hardware store. It was just kind of a rurally located hardware store. Like, you know, do you have, you know, this bolt or this nut or whatever? He goes, nope, Slap Out. Seemed like every time they go in there, they were Slap Out of everything. So they just named the town Slap Out. Yeah. yeah. So and- some, some, uh, Trivia folklore, there. yeah, okay, Alabama yeah. folklore for you. Yep, and uh, so like I said, five, five of us was uh, first kids. Um, the grandparents they live uh, that should go into college. They had uh, at like eight acres of farm farmland. So uh, I learned uh, about you know if you want to eat, you, you grow what you want to eat, you know, and yeah. uh, raise what you want to eat. And um, so uh, I appreciate that background because it helped develop me to who I am now. Um, yeah. I think working is healthy for people. And um, and I like to say, uh, high school, I signed up for the military six months before my graduation. And a month later, I signed, uh, went in the military for four years. And I said, surely after four years, I know what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. And uh, and so I signed up for what they call a job bill back then. You know, the military would pay for your college. Yeah. I, like, I said, that's a pretty good deal. You know, Serve the military and serve in the military for four years, get out, go to college. And, um, but 21 years later, I decided, what well, I said, I know what I want to do. <laughs> 21 years later, uh, I retired from the military, moved back to Alabama. Yeah. And, uh, I said, I moved back to Alabama because oftentimes people complain about Alabama. Yeah. And I said, just travel around the country, go to other states, you no, know, go to another country for a couple of weeks and come back. You have a better appreciation, uh, for us what we do in Alabama. We have our issues, problems, just like anything else, but um, Alabama came back here, and um, at the time I was married, have a beautiful daughter. She's 17 now. Mm-hmm. And um, and so Alabama, of the 67 counties, we start looking at the data, uh, where's the best place to raise a family, uh, and we chose uh, Shelby County, you know, uh, a good school system, looked at the crime rate, and um, it was low, 
and uh, job opportunities was there. And uh, for us traveling eclectic, an hour, 20-minute drive, you can still see your, your uh, family. Yeah. If you want to go to Atlanta, okay, you can take a day trip. If you want yeah. to go to uh, Birmingham, it's just, you know, 20 minutes up the road. And so Shelby County is, uh, once again, I'm proud we selected uh, no Shelby, Shelby County to live. And um, But uh, going back to uh, Little Town to eclectic, um, I was raised by you know, once again, both parents, my extended family, I've spent a lot of time with my grandparents on both sides of the family. Uh, my grandmother, I'm happy to announce that she's still uh, kicking at 102 years old. Wow. And um, and she would tell you that uh, what keeps her going is the Lord. Amen. You know, uh, and so uh, she said, we can go to, I can go today. He can take me home. And I have, I'm just happy and, and have lived a good life. And so that's what I try to tell people is, you know, uh, have faith, stay focused on the Lord, and only blessings will follow. You know, even during this thing called turbulence for life, just stay focused on the Lord. And uh, that's what brings me here today is the Lord, is, he continues to drive my, drive, uh, guide my footsteps. I'm just, uh, in, uh, as you probably have heard, uh, last year around this time, I was out knocking on, on doors campaigning. Yeah. And uh, But before I got to, well, before the campaigning part, uh, I spent the last 11 years in Alabama, in uh, Montgomery, as a private citizen. Uh, I tell people I've taken, I took my military retirement, put it in my gas tank, and advocated <laughs> trying to make a difference for the next generation of kids, trying to work on pro-family legislation. And what mm. that actually was doing, I didn't realize it at the time, uh, but uh, Matt Friday, um, mm. uh, he was now at the appellate court uh Judgeship. He won that election in November 2020, and the governor called a special election to fill his vacant seat. He called. He was serving as the House Representative for District 73, and people started asking me, "Kenneth, do you need to run for Matt's seat?" I like, no, that is not for me. And they's like, "It is." We saw it several years ago. The Lord was prepping you as you was traveling Montgomery, walking the hallways, building those relationships with legislators. Some was doing the right thing. Some was not doing the right thing. But you, you did not waver as far as what you believe in, what you stand for. We need more godly men and women in Montgomery. Mm. And it was almost like, you know, I mean, everybody wanted to start coming and asking me the same question. Kenneth, why don't you run for the seat? Of, and um, I said it in a joking, ma- in a joking manner to a couple of people. I said, okay, I'll run on one condition. That's if I get 100, 100% clarity from the Lord. That means you put all the pieces on the table, and if they come together, I run. Within two weeks, it was just clear as day. <laughs> it was clear as day I was supposed to run for this seat to serve as the, the as legislator to represent the people in the House District 73 because people came to say, if you run, I'll volunteer. If you run, I'll volunteer. I'll help you with mm, your campaign. That's awesome. And... You had uh, local leaders saying the same thing. If you run, you have my support. You know, one of the interesting things, I'm surprised Ray didn't pick up on this. So most people, when they say God told them to run, lose. Weirdest thing. So I think God might have actually told you to run. No, I was going to say, it was amazing how often I've heard people say, oh, you know, God." but it's funny how God often tells people to run for governor or senate or something. I think, you know, as we used to laughingly say, well, God didn't tell me to vote for you, so you may have a problem here. But in your case, I mean, that was a real 
you know, that wasn't over, and I don't mean to overreach and overreach with God, but I think that was a real legitimate, yeah. this is this is kind of where you start, you know. Maybe bigger things ahead of you, maybe not, but this was a good start for you. Right. Yeah, and I think seeing the things that led up to it, too, but that's just a run. the only reason I brought yeah. that up is it's a running joke with me and Ray, and because everybody comes in and talks to us, and they're like, man, the Lord had told me, and yeah. like, oh, okay, and none of them are around anymore. <laughs> but um, But you can see the pattern building up the preparation of you walking the halls, you having the passion in your heart, um, you know, the, the integrity and the walk and the, the, basically that above reproach, uh, respect of the community and, and, and people coming to volunteer as well as that. I think that's really good. Right. And part of that, uh, for us having that small team of supporters, um, through prayer, even, you know, sharing with my pastor deacons, just pray for clarity. Yeah. And so now you get that clarity. And so, if the clarity came from above, your campaign should be based on what the clarity came from, mm. from above. And so my uh, platform was simple, God and country. You know, how do you best uh, exhibit or share my, the story of my life, my travel? Uh, as I mentioned, I, I spent 21 and a half years in the military serving our country. Why? Because I love our country. Amen. Uh, going back to the background, being raised in a small town of elected, uh, we went to church. Uh, we didn't have a, a big church where you have your individual uh, Bible study classes. You no, know, your Bible study was at your grandparents' house at the church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so how the best um, uh, honor the Lord as my uh, in my efforts to run to serve the people was emphasize God and country, and country is uh, our constitution. So my message to the people was: if I'm elected. My measure and my boundaries is God, and then our constitution. I have to function inside those limits. Yeah. And if the people elect me, that third element, element is the people. And so regardless, that makes life kind of easy for me in Montgomery because as I analyze, look at legislation, I function inside the word of God, uh, the constitution, and then the will of the people. And then you have to other, you have your special interest groups. Yes, you listen to all them, but mostly my analysis is God country, the constitution, and the people. Mm. And then anyone else put all the, all the elements on the table, then now I'm in, I'm in a better position to make an informed decision for the people. And um, for the election, we had five candidates in the primary, Republican primary. The polling was saying, Kenneth, you don't have a chance to win. You, you're polling mm. number four. No one in Montgomery don't want to uh, support your campaign. They're not going to give you any money. And so I'm really honored to say I won my election, strictly grassroots, mom, pop, brother, sister, small businesses, and the community supporting my campaign. Uh, when I made the runoff out of the five candidates, and people were like, wow, he might have a chance to win. And I really wasn't focused on winning. I was just focused on being obedient mm. and sharing the God, the God and country. Now, I'm not going to the door of Republicans. I share, nope. I'm Kenneth. I'm not a politician. Uh, I serve our country. And if elected, my goal is to represent you. So share two or three things that's important to you and your family. And so that was my approach. Won't, won't let the people know that my goal is to serve you as a state legislature. Uh, the conversation sometimes will go to Washington, D.C., and I will have a dialogue briefly by bringing people back to the state level. You know, sometimes we get focused on the things we can't control. As a state legislator, my role is to represent the people at the state level 
And if I knocked on the Democratic door, oftentimes they would say, OK, I'm not going to vote for you. You're, you're a Republican. I said, that's OK. I have good, have good news for you. I'm a little bit different. I have a different approach. Whether you vote for me or not, I can't control that. But if I'm elected, I still have a res- responsibility to represent you and your family. So tell me two or three things that's important to you and your family. So I was trying to break the barrier mm. um, and let people know if you're on the opposite side of the aisle, yes, we have we have differences. Yeah. You know, but we do have something in common. And I tell you the interesting fact with that, regardless what whether it's Democrat or Republican door knocked on, the common denominator, the things we had in that was important to the people was to live in a safe community, have a place to lay down at night, call home. Um, most people just want to go to work. And then after work, when you come home, you want to spend time with your family. And when you close your door, guess what? You're going to be left alone. Yeah. And so uh, I share with uh, both sides of the aisle, that's what we have in common. Let's focus on that. One of the things that I've found um, is, you know, everyone gets their political cues from national media outlets. So everyone watching Fox News, everyone's watching CNN, depending on. So everyone watching Fox News, it has the far right pitted against the far left. So you see like the AOCs and those types, you know, Ocasio or Cortez or whatever. I'm not. Anyway, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. That's why I keep Ray around. He fixes me. Um, You know, that type, you know, versus, you know, some some far right people. And they try and pit that battle as, as, as much as it possibly can be. And so we get our national cues from that. And so. We bring that division here, and one of the things when we did the the uh, governor forum, um, the gubernatorial forum, we had all the Democrats and all the Republicans, um, you know, except Kay Ivey, um, and they were all up there, and we did a lightning round where they had to say yes or no. All they could do is write yes or write no, and then hold their little board up. And what was interesting is there were some pretty pretty heavy questions that you thought would be really you know different answers to. And all the Democrats and all the Republicans voted the, the same. And so what you see is the Democrats in Alabama, you know, are there some radical leftists here? Sure. Are there some ideologues? Sure. But overall, it's like you said, most people just want to be left alone. They want to go to good They want their kids to go to good schools. They want safe streets. They want lower taxes. They want to keep more of their paycheck. They just want to be left alone. Um, and that's a common thread among both sides of the aisle. Um, I love K. Carl. We had him in a couple of weeks ago to talk about that Frederick Douglass Republican platform. Mm-hmm. And it takes all those national cues out of everything and says, hey, look, what do you really care about? Well, you should vote based off of what you actually care about, not what the media is telling you you should be voting for. Right. Kenneth, you well, uh, uh, there's a couple things. One, let me just address the the obvious. You're you're a, a black Republican. They got elected, and there had In to be Shelby some County. people <laughs> as you walked up to say, "Hey, I'm a Republican." Had to go. I'm sorry. I mean, what kind of reaction did you get from folks? And I think that's a, a story in itself. Well, I tell you, that's interesting, and this is applies to both sides of, of the aisle. Sure. You know, from the Republican side, knocking on the door, many assume. Okay, well, you're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. They they tell me, tell me that. I said, I know. That's why I'm knocking on your door. But they assume because of your skin, the pigment of my skin, okay, well, you can't be a Democrat. You're knocking on the wrong door. Yeah. And so even on the other side, Democrats, they would, uh, they assume I'm a Democrat. They want to start sharing God and country, uh, low limited taxes, uh, tax, well, low taxes, limited government so far. What I stand for, then they kind of, they see the signs, see Republicans, they're like, 
oh, you're a Republican? I, I said, yes, I am. Well, I, I can't vote for you. And so that's the, um, I think what we have done as a society, we have put people in a box based on how you look. And uh, in this case, it's the color of your skin. But there are element, elements where we put people in a box just because of their profile and so forth, whether you're uh, a male or female, we put everybody in a box. In this case, the party lines, particularly in Alabama, we have put everyone in the box uh, because of your skin color. Right. Well, I mean, well, if I say on one, okay, the Democrats, they yeah. assume that because of your color of your skin, if you black, you have to. Your obligation is to submit to the Democratic Party and vote Democrat. But it's interesting. They also say because of your skin color, it's okay for you for you to be a Democrat. You're right. But it's not okay for me to be a Republican. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so that was. But I think the Lord prepped me for to deal with that on both yeah. sides. You know. Um, and once again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, dealing with the Democrats, they were like, well, some might say, okay, well, you you sell out, you, you're not one of us. But I still, I don't, I call it the Jerry Springer conversation dialogue. I don't deal with it. You know, if you've seen the Jerry Springer oh, show, yeah. it's entertaining, but it's, it's nothing productive coming out of no the conversation. Substance. No, yeah. not at all. So the Lord prepped me to deal with that. I don't entertain that. Maybe about five seconds, and then I shift the conversation. And um, as mentioned before, how the shift the conversation is whether you vote for me or not, I have to represent you if I'm elected. So, so tell me what's important to you. Yeah. And so, um, but once um, I made the runoff election, I didn't realize the significance of um, Alabama not having uh, uh, anyone of color elected to le to legislature since Reconstruction about 145 years. I saw that in the paper. So I called Alabama uh, History and Archives uh, office and asked them, I said, is this true? You know, and they looked, did research, and said, yes. You know, uh, there was, um, I think, a mayor in Tuskegee, I think, had switched parties, you know, at one time, you mm. know, and then switched back. But for us, a, someone, uh, a black person being elected as a Republican to the legislature, that had been like 145 years. And when I won an election July the 13th, the, the news outlet said, what did that mean to you? And I said, we want to take a few minutes to recognize the historic nature of that, but that's not what's important to me. Yeah. What's important to me is that in, um, the people in Shelby County, vote. they didn't vote for me because of the color of my skin. They voted for me because who I am, what I stand for, God and country. Yeah. Um, the man, content of your character is somebody once famous said, right? Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> and I directed them to the quote of Dr. Martin Luther King yeah. in 1963, where he said, I look to the day where people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the contents of their character. Right. So what I shared during my swearing in on July the 14th is the people in Shelby County in Alabama, we made his dream come true that day you know, yeah. by electing a person of color but not because of the color of their skin, but because who I am, what I stand for. And one of the most Republican counties in the state, uh, you know, in a very, as you said, not a, a, a well-educated, you know, income, Rich, employment level. And I think it's remarkable. So your story is exactly right. And the other thing about you when we first met, people knew you because you're passionate about families, you're passionate about fathers and homes, and you've really worked hard. I know that's a lot of what you're dealing with as well, but people already kind of knew where you were and what you were right. coming from. Right, that's, that was um, interesting because I started talking with some of the, I guess, I'll, 
the the system, the people in the system in Montgomery, the, the, the machine. The, yeah, the, I guess you call it machine, the PACs, lobbyist <laughs> groups, and so far. They was not aware of my work in Shelby County throughout the state for some reason, you know. And so that's why I say the system was saying you don't have a chance to win. So we're not even going to invest in you. And but I'm okay with that because of I'm just honored to have been elected by the people. I'm a, I'm honored to be have been supported by the people. Mom, mom, pop, brother, sister, local business, family and friends. And however, once elected, yes, my phone start ringing from the other special the, the groups and so far. And, and I said, yes, if you want to join Team Pascal, you're welcome. And because we stand for God and country, that's what we stand for. And so, um, um, but just yeah, just excited. Um, you know, sometimes you have things on your bucket list you want you want to do in life. Yeah, uh, this was what's not on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> it, imagine. It and so, what year were you born? Uh, 1966. So being born in eclectic Alabama, 1966, as a young black kid growing up in eclectic Alabama, probably didn't think, you know, that One day you'd you are. be in, in government, <laughs> in Montgomery. Yeah. Um, bringing that God and country message. That's incredible. I love yeah, it. That's yeah. why I wanted to talk about it before we jumped into the other stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you, someone, one of my American Legion uh, friends had made a post, a uh, comment on my social media page yesterday and, and say, well, are you standing with uh, two beautiful women and, and a hardworking politician? You know, and I said, I have to correct you. You know, I'm not a hardworking politician. I'm a servant of the people. Yeah. Um, because my, uh, my observation of a politician is someone who their interest is themselves. Yeah. Their interest is the system. Whereas as a uh, public servant, you know, your interest is serving the people, representing the people. So mm-hmm. I always try to, uh, I have to correct people. Sometimes, well, you're a politician. No, I'm in politics. No, but I'm not a politician. I'm, I'm a public servant. Yeah, I love it. I am uh, extremely critical of the people in Montgomery uh, on my podcast here, as well as in the in the publication. And it's for that reason that that is you embody what it is that <clears throat> that I uh, that we as the people of Alabama are looking for it. Someone that can go down there and look those special interest groups in the face and say, this is who I am. This is my platform. This is team Pascal. We're God, we're country. Country means constitution. I'm representing the people. Um, you're not going to sway me. If you want to work with me and move these things, you know, forward for the people I'm with you. If not, you know, you can get out of my way. And, um, that needs to be happening in mass in Montgomery. And, and, and I just, I think it's incredible that, that you're doing that. And I know that it's not easy. Because there's so many people who I think go down there with um, good ideas or thinking they're going to make a difference, and they get swallowed up by the machine, man, and they boom. And so I think were you – I forget where you ranked on the API scorecard, but I think you were like second or you were up there in the top five for sure, um, most conservative um, legislator in the state of Alabama. And, and you don't get to that unless your desire is to serve the people. Because you go down there and serve special interests, that's not going to happen, right? And so – um, kudos to you. Well, well, thank you. And matter of fact, when we had lunch, you mentioned about that uh, survey evaluation, and you had asked, you "Are you aware know. of that?" Like, no, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I said I'm just trying to do the right thing because it's, the right thing is too easy to, to do. Yeah. And but one thing about uh, I think at every level, well, at the state level and and the national level, I think if you're elected in those positions, I think it's actually it's inherently 
designed to change you. That's there's yeah. nothing we can do about it. You know, but I think if you mentally realize it's it's structured to change you because this is how the system is set up. If you realize that through prayer, surrounding yourself with people mm -hmm. that will tap you on the shoulder if you get outside of the boundaries, which is I tell people. I'm telling you my limits, my boundaries. Yeah. If you see me outside there, tap me on the shoulder, invite me to just sit down and grab a cup of coffee or a smoothie or something. Yeah. And say, Kenneth, here's my observation. Just what I'm hearing, just what I'm saying. And then uh, because uh, we all, we all, we're not perfect. We're flawed. Yeah. Uh, but I challenge people, if you see me function outside of the limits of God, our constitution, and the will of the people, give me a call, you know, and, and sit down because uh, I'm not a career my goal is not to be in this for as a career. I'm in the season. Mm. And so my goal is to do as much as, as I can for the people, but really, but mainly I want to empower the people. Yeah. And a lot of people is kind of surprised when I share that. I said, the elected, the people has empowered the elected officials too much. Yeah. You know, oftentimes people ask my opinion on issues, which is good. You need to know my, my opinion, but I'm one voice out of 49,000 people in my district. Yeah. You know, so I share people, I said, your opinion is more important than mine. So tell me what is your position on the issue? Yeah. And then now have your neighbor call me and share their opinion on it. That way I want to get as much information as, as I can during what I call the off season of the legislative session. And then now when I go to Montgomery, it's a little bit easier for me to instead of being changed, I'm in, empowered. So mm -hmm. I want to empower the people so they can empower me to represent them down in Montgomery. So when, when you're done, when you when you hang up the gloves, you need to start a school and teach people how to do what you're doing because it's uh, it's good, man. All right, well, def definitely appreciate it there. You know? and, and once again, I appreciate you uh, appreciate what you guys do. Yes, you know, um, once again, trying to be a little different also. You yeah. Know? But it's, it's put the facts out there. You know, let the people make their decision, but put the factual information out there instead of just trying to sway people in one direction. You yeah. put, put the information on the table now. The people. They in a better position to be informed. Yeah, and that's your head, right? Yeah, I was going to say no. I think that's one thing that is, I have faith in people. I really do, and I know we can all be. You know, I've used this quote before that Winston Churchill once said: "Americans will always do the right thing after they've tried everything else." Uh, but I, I do, and I do think just letting people know this is the truth. Now you decide, and and just like your campaign, you know, people had preconceived notions about you, and you said, "Hey, this is who I am." Now go decide, and they they decided they liked that. I think that's a strong way. And, and one of the things we've talked about a lot in Montgomery is it's really easy to get down there, and because you see the lobbyists every day, that you begin to lose track of the people that you're actually down there to represent because you hear these other voices all the time, and so. Again, I think that's one thing that you've done is really tried to stay touch with your forty nine thousand people that you represent to hear to be their lobbyist in Montgomery, if you will. Right. Well, I, th I think well, it's like a a relationship being married. If you disengage from your wife, you become vulnerable. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, if I disengage from the people, I become vulnerable. Absolutely right. Mm. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's why a, I, I tell people. I may steal that. Line. Yeah. No, we're, we're, we're <laughs> yeah. definitely stealing that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, if you think about it, it's true. Just yeah. that's human nature. What you spend time or who you spend time with, you become lower to that. And so that's why I was sharing earlier. This system is designed to change you, mm -hmm. but if you mentally, is, if you're aware of that, you can take steps to shield you. For example, if you wake up in the morning. And being in this flawed, sinful nature that we live in, you put your armor on God through your devotional time. You, you these yeah. and six, you put your 
you put your armor of God on, you properly get dressed, not just in the morning, but throughout the day. Um, if you don't become more vulnerable. So that relationship with the Lord, if you maintain that, that's your shield, that's your cover. And so same thing with uh, being an elected official. If you, you know that you're in a vulnerable position and the system is, I think, designed to change you, if you don't want to be changed, you have to put it out there in front, let everybody know, listen, I don't want to be changed. I tell people, even if you don't live in my district, you can still help. You can pray. Pray for cover. No, pray for me. Pray for the rest of our elected officials. So um, so that's my goal. As I mentioned, I'm in in a season. So my goal is not, I don't, I'm not, some people say, Kenneth, you need to go to Washington, D.C. No, I'm in the season here. Um, and I'm going to enjoy what, I, what I'm doing. And some people say, well, Kenneth, since being elected, uh, how's it been, how's it, how, how well, what are your thoughts on Montgomery? I said, I spent the last 11 years walking hallways when it's in session. <laughs> it's a little bit different being inside of chambers, being in, in uh, you know, seeing how everything works within first year caucus meetings, you know, and it's all like your, your family, you know, you, you, uh, what's, what you discuss in your household tonight, you know, that's your house in your household, you know, and sometimes when you go put it out in the public, you create gossip and so forth. So one thing I learned is as a family, as a caucus, yes, we need to, uh, we, we, we can have our disagreements inside a household. Every household has disagreements, but uh, we, we need to make sure we stay focused on what the goal is, is to move our, our uh, state forward and uh, make sure we don't uh, allow, continue to allow unhealthy, uh, unbiblical things who uh, dissolve the foundation fabric of our uh, state and country, which is, uh, once again, going back to the family. I think if yeah. you dissolve that, uh, it's difficult to have a, a, a um, uh, well, it's difficult to have anything solid if you don't have a solid foundation. You know? yeah. it's, it's difficult to build upon that, you know. Yeah, I think it's a, a great transition into the, the next part. And so it's interesting enough, and this wasn't necessarily planned, um, but last week we had a, a pastor come on to talk about um, so Mo Brooks got into some heat because he went on Fox News. They were talking about the school shooting. He's like, well, where do you think this is coming from, you know, congressman? He said, well, it's, you know, basically moral decay. And the moral decay comes from the fact that our, our nuclear family is breaking down. And they obviously went berserk on him. So you're saying this is the fault of single mothers? I'm like, nope, not what I said. This is what I said, and this is what I mean. He didn't back down from it. And so he got into some hot water. We had Pastor Rich Lusk. Uh, he came on to basically talk about, you know, Mo Brooks's comments, was he right? Talking about the family, the family in the church, and then how the family in the church, when they're functioning properly, make it so that civil society functions properly and all these things. So um, excited to, to, to jump in and, and talk to you about some of these things. And so when we met, um, we, uh, we, we talked about a little bit about your history, but it was more in line with what you're, you're passionate about. And what you, I, I assume you spent 11 years before you were representative down there trying to make differences um, in, in, in the space of, of family, family law, family legis legislation that affects families. Um, just talk to us about it. What is, what is the, the passion that God's put on your heart? What, what have, what have you been working on? How's it been going so far? Okay. Well, a little background, 2008, um, I see, unfortunately I went through a divorce, but you no, know, God allow us to travel, you know, um, as we wake up in the morning. So, I went through a divorce in 2008. Um, I, as mentioned, I have a one daughter, beautiful. Her name is Abigail. And the reason I named her Abigail because in Hebrew, that means the father's joy. 
Mm. And, and she definitely is the father's joy. But going through the divorce process in Alabama, you're forced, whether you want to, want to or not, you're forced into the court system. If one parent, is if one say, okay, I'm done, I don't want to be, be married anymore, you have to go through the legal process in the court system. And uh, I was just shocked at the process. You start in process is you see your daughter first and third Friday at 6 p.m. until Sunday at 6 p.m. on the first and third Fridays of each month. And that's just starting conversation. And I thought it was joking at first. I said, yeah, right. Who, who in the heck thought of this? You know, that's how we do it in Alabama. And I still thought, I said, no, you got to be joking me, kidding me. And I said, okay, someone who's retired from the military, top secret security clearance, clean record, nothing, and invested in his daughter's school on the PTO board, the only man, only male on the PTO board at that time, and uh, asked to be the, the room dad for a school. But yet, because of one parent don't want to be married anymore, they relegate you to not even a, a parent. They relegate you to a relationship of a grandparent or a daycare worker. Yeah, You see a child 48 to 56 hours a month, then you can negotiate and fight to get more time. And which I did. I fought and negotiated, got a little more time instead of just first and third weekends. I got a fifth weekend in there because there's uh, four, uh, f- uh, five weekends, five Fridays uh, in a month. So that's a little more time. So you have to fight, you know, you get more yeah. time. And and so at first I thought it was just my situation, you know. And I like then I started doing research. I, I found out. I said, Oh my goodness. This is how it is in the 67 counties in Alabama. Then more research. Oh, my goodness. This throughout the entire country. And so I came across an organization called Alabama Family Rights Association. It's, uh, it's mainly um, out of Huntsville called dating like 1988. They started an organization called actually it was Alabama Fathers Rights Association for about 10 months. And then they realized that this is not about fathers. This is about family. Mm. So they changed the name group from Alabama Father's Rights to Alabama Family Rights Association because whether it's mom or dad, that child needs a balanced relationship with both parents. So I joined this organization. It's all volunteer organization there. And and uh, just initially we was more or less, I guess, almost structured like a, like a support group. Yeah. You know, and and after I started doing more research, you know, a couple other uh, members, uh, we realized our public policy is the problem. Yeah. The way the current Alabama law is written, it allows the courts to do anything they desire, just call it the best interest of the child, and you validate what you're doing. Yeah. And um, then start doing just more research and realize if the policy is the problem, we need to change the policy. You know? So I started spending time in Montgomery, talking to, to different legislators, and trying to educate myself, how do you change the law? If, especially in this case, I think it's an unbiblical law that allow the courts without any reason reasoning and do not even re- require them to write down why they do certain things to relegate a child, pl- place a child or tell a child that one half of your DNA or one half of what God created is not important anymore because the parents decided to go their separate ways. First, we want to clarify divorce is bad. No scripture yeah. tell us that, you know, um, but we make it worse for kids by saying you're going to lose one parent and not just one parent, you're going to lose. You're going to lose that entire extended family. And so we started uh, looking at the data 
uh, says, okay, what's the impact? You know, we, we start seeing increased crime. Um, the data that was showing that the data, when kids have one parent, particularly when the father's not in the home, 85% of our kids in our correction facilities, that's what they have limited time, no time, one of their parents, or dad in particular. Uh, 71% of kids' teen pregnancies come from the one parent home, once again, mainly absent of dad. Uh, 63% of our youth suicides. And, and the numbers just, if you had these percentages of numbers of an airplane falling out of the sky, we would stop everything and say, listen, we got a crisis here. Yeah. And we do have a crisis here, but we haven't stopped as a state, as a legislators, and said we need to change this. And I just want to kind of briefly go back to earlier, you mentioned about uh, the tragic shooting we, we had there uh, on election day. I was, uh, uh, the Lord blessed me not to have a primary opponent, you know, so I was able to be out, visit the different precincts. I have actually some new precincts out there based on the redistricting and so yeah. forth. And so my phone started blowing up and people said, you know, you guys just passed this constitution carry. You guys going to kill our kids. What are you going to do? Uh, we need to have more gun control, you know, still less. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Because once again, I was going to different precincts yeah. there. And they were one, someone called me and said, well, listen, there was a, a mass shooting at one of the schools in Texas. I said, when I get home tonight, I'll take, I'll, look, I'll take a look at it and research it. I said, but I don't know any details about this issue, but I guarantee you, when you pull the layers back, the individual that committed this act, I guarantee you they, there was a dysfunctional traumatic experience in the household. Yeah. And, and the reason I know that, in 2012, I, w- I started doing research on mass shootings well, correction, mass killings. Yeah. And I went back to 1927 of, in the history of our country, and the common denominator in 80% of these mass killings in our country, it was the individual had some type of dysfunction, uh, no parent, no dad. Uh, you know, so once again, family, God created family to have an order for a reason. God created kids to have a mother and father. And over the last 40, 50 years in Alabama, we have, Turn our backs back on the Lord and said, "No, we know the best. We don't say your kids need one parent, uh, unless they're in the same household." Uh, but unfortunately, in Alabama, we number one in football. But sadly to say, we also in the top uh, rankings when it comes to divorce rates, uh, unwed births. Uh, I don't advocate for either one of those, but it's here in our state. Yeah. And so the question is, when when parents separate. What is the best policy that we should have to protect a, a kids' relationship, both parents, keep kids from being traumatized, keep kids being placed at the risk factors I identified earlier? And so for after 11 years in walking in Montgomery, the last three years before COVID, we had success in the Senate. We passed legislation that just created, uh, that changed the policies from the adversarial mom, get the child, dad, you get every other weekend, or vice versa. It's created a a starting point, a start a conversation of equal parenting time with both parents, and then based on the situation of each family, the situation you can go, the courts can go either left or right direction, but at least start the conversation on equal footing. Yeah, because the data says when kids spend uh, time with both parents, anywhere from thirty five percent to fifty percent time with both parents, kids have better outcomes, less behavior problems, uh, behaviors. Issues in our schools, 
common denominator. Many of these kids have uh, issues in the family, yep. single parent homes. And part of the problem is the federal level, too. Um, at the state level, we can't deal with that. But uh, I know a Gary Palmer, I met with him years back, and I was telling him, sharing about Title IV defunding. You know, the states receive federal money when they can justify kids have one parent. Uh, in Alabama, we call one parent a custodial parent, the other parent a non-custodial parent. Mm -hmm. The actual federal definition of a non-custodial parent is being you absent, even though you're not. Yeah, but that triggers the federal money to come in to say the states have to take care of that, that child, which they really don't. The law really, really was not designed for that. Yeah, but no fault divorce in the early, I think around 1970s, California once again started that that problem, and so the federal program people start taking advantage of the federal programs because those programs were really designed for what you call back then deadbeat dads that will walk out leave the parents, and we do have those. We have. Parents, dads that don't uh, do what they should be doing. We have mothers that uh, don't do what they should be doing. But we're talking about two parents, uh, fit and able bodies, and the courts still relegate one to every other weekend. And then seven, eight years later, we put these same kids in our correction facilities or say they have drug problems. Or even with the, not the mass shootings and violence in our communities, but particularly in African-American communities, we have normalized this process mm. until the violence that we send, since we have normalized that, and and we it's not we don't really acknowledge that because the system has said that dad is not important, or when dad was in the home, there was more violence. Well, we have actually taken dad out of the households, so the violence has increased. So that initial, uh, I said that initial. Um, conversation of men's is violence and they're bad for the family, for the community. That's not true because we have taken dad out of the conversation and violence has increased. Yeah. And men have testosterone. Men have violence inherently inside of us and it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And it's up to fathers and, and paternal figures, if you will, to teach young men how to channel that for good. And if that person is absent, then they don't have someone teaching them to channel it for good. And, odds are they're probably going to channel it for bad. And then boys are also wired. Um, we have inside of us, I mean, b both children, but specifically as it pertains to the stuff that we're talking about with shootings and violence, you know, boys have a, a hole inside of them. It's like a vacuum of, of needing some type of older male blessing, right? That's instinctly in us. And if we don't get it from our fathers, we go and find it in the streets. We go and find, you know, these other people who understand that and they manipulate young men into doing a lot of bad things that they don't want to do. You end up with gangs, drugs, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's bad. I was listening to a sermon recently um, and it talked about um, there were um, elephants. Um, there was a, like, a, you know, the study that I'm yeah. about to talk about, man. There's, so there's these elephants and I, and I may butcher the story. But um, the elephants were going extinct, and then there was these white rhinoceros that um, I think they were rhinoceros um, that were were going extinct, <clears throat> and so they were trying to take some of the herd of elephants from where they were and kind of like spread them out so that they could kind of have packs of elephants that would start to grow. Well, they started moving them, and what they found is the big bull elephants, the harnesses couldn't pick them up, um, so they just would take like you know some female elephants, some young elephants, whatever. And then all of a sudden, where they took them to, there was all these dead rhinoceroses. I, I don't know what the rhinoceri, I, I don't know what it is. 
But and and so they're like, what in the world is going on? Elephants and rhinoceros have lived together in harmony for you know for as long as we know, and there's never been any problems. And so they started putting up like game cameras and stuff. And what they saw it was these young kind of juvenile elephants were killing these rhinoceros. And um, and they're like, what in the world? And so they went and kind of through the whole process of deduction, the only thing that they could think is, well, we don't have any of these male bull elephants in this community. And so they figured out how to get harnesses for those bull elephants and to bring those older male elephants in. And once they started doing that, um, the older male elephants taught the younger male elephants how they're supposed to behave. And then the killing stopped. And it's like, if that's not a one-to-one parallel, and you know, we're talking elephants, yeah. you know, obviously humans are more, um, you know, uh, complex than elephants, but, but still you, you see, you see it in God's design, the way that he made things. Um, so, um, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and what we always talk about, and I had, um, um, Terrell Kennedy, do you know Terrell? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. That's why you reached yep. out to me. That's how we met yep. was because we were talking about that podcast. And so I think the title of that podcast was Chopping at the Root of Evil. And so, so many times we get caught up, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, we get caught up in chopping at leaves of evil rather than the root of evil. And leaves, we start talking about, you know, this issue or this social issue or whatever, and we want to we wanna legislate and fix all these things that are leaves it's like, yeah, but we need to fix this root issue. And if we don't, if, if we fix the root issue, we wouldn't need to worry about these leaves. But yeah. we're out there chopping at leaves, not chopping at the root. And I think fatherlessness, um, the family court system that you're talking about, uh, and then particularly no-fault divorce, right? Now we're getting to the root of the issue. And then obviously yeah. I would go farther, and I think all three of us would agree that the root is sin, mm-hmm. right? And then the manifestations of sin in society, specifically you know, there's a war on the family. Um, you know, these organizations, these Marxist organizations from Black Lives Matter to LGBTQ, RS, PYQ, whatever, all those people in their bylaws, in their governing documents is literally that they, they want to deconstruct the nuclear family. These people are at war with the way that God made things. They want to destroy God's order because that it's a war. And, and you see, when you start to mess with things that God designed, the family, right, how um, men interact in the family, how women interact, when you start to mess with that, you're messing with a nuclear power plant. And you, you start to see, you know, um, ripple effect of destruction when you start to mess with the things uh, that God has, has designed. Yep. You know, uh, go ahead. I, but I was going to say one thing that, it, it, and I think sometimes it starts off with a good intention, but over the last 50, 60 years, we have seen government begun to take over families um, in a, in maybe not an obvious way, but exactly what you're talking about. Okay, we're going to make laws that say this is how children will be treated in a case of a divorce, or this is how kids will be educated, or um, even in family court structure to give judges the power they have to just totally disrupt a, a family unit. Is, is also leaning to that idea of we've somehow abdicated our responsibility as parents, as family, to government to somehow take care of us. And I know that's what you've been fighting all this time, too, is to kind of take the government out of family. Right. And I think there's a time and place for everything. The government has a role. Sure. Um, but when it comes to family, the government should never immediately come in with overbroad hands, assume that role. Uh, where our current law is structured, that's exactly what occurs. Uh, some, well, first let me just do some disc- disclaimers out there. The conversation we're talking about is when parents divorce or separate and the courts rele- relegate one parent to 
limited to no time with the child and the child suffer later on in life and mm-hmm. oftentimes grow up and repeat that cycle. Uh, we're not talking about when there's abuse, drugs, right. or harm because uh, we currently have laws for that. So we're talking about absence of drugs, abuse, and harm. And we also have some uh, good uh, judges and, and lawyers out there that's doing a good job. They've been working with me on this legislation there. But we got some that's have this, that they do think they're God. They have shared that, you know, it's my job. This is my child. You know, I'm like, well, no, that's not your child. Your role is to facilitate uh, the best interest of the child. And the question is, what is the best interest of the child? Well, the data tells us what's best for kids to have a balanced relationship with both mom and dad. And then if there's drugs or issues, you shift from that conversation there. But um, the government, we have we have uh, allowed the government to assume a role of parents. And because when we say you're the honorable, you know, judge, you know okay, surely the judge know what's best for this child. And, but we have to turn the TV on the night and watch the news and say, well, here's the outcome. Here's the benefits of that. Yeah. But also I just kind of share, I visit our law schools here in, in Alabama. We have some great law schools. They teach you to go to law school and learn how to win. The, the main thing in law school, they teach you how to debate and win. That's the main thing is win. Mm. And so we have forced parents to go into a system, and it's not about creating a balanced relationship, <laughs> the child having a balanced relationship with mom and dad so they have better outcomes in life. It is structured to say we have to have a winner and we have to have a loser. And although oftentimes parents get caught up in that because it's emotional and they want to win, and so I just cannot phantom not seeing my child every single day. And what the data shows, kids is saying the same thing. I cannot fathom not seeing, being able to free the love parents. both of my parents. Because if I suppress that love, I got to have to replace it with something else. So what we're trying to do is ask the government, ask the government to first recognize the importance of family and the fundamental rights of parents and children. Fundamental rights being given by God. Yeah. So that means that that put the government in this place. You no, know, you no. Know, God give parents those rights to make the best decision for their kids. And then the second thing we ask in the government, the courts to do from a legislative standpoint, we ask is create a require the courts in sixty seven all sixty seven counties. Each court, you start with a balanced conversation. Let's see if we can maximize this child time. Equal time doesn't work for every single case. We know that. So that's but that's why you give the courts discretion. Look at each case, go either direction, but just automatically pick one parent. That is not that's that's harming us. It's harming our yeah. society. And actually, the the identity crisis. I share this even during the several years back during the uh, uh, marriage debate between same sexes. I said that's an identity crisis we're dealing with. We have turned our backs on the Lord for so long, and now we face with asking the government to make a decision they never should have had the uh, the authorities to even interject. But we, once again, turn to the government, hey, we want your opinion on this. This government we, is God now. We should have told them, we don't want your opinion. You have no authority Amen. to even give us your opinion. But we asked for the opinion, guess what they gave us? Not, a not good opinion. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I think one thing, too, and, and I'm going to go over this if, if I can every single episode just to kind of it's one of those things you learn through repetition. But the way that our founding documents were designed, the way 
um, was based off of English common law. And uh, specifically, there's a guy, William Blackstone, who was, you know, extremely influential in the formulation of our laws uh, in the United States of America. And his big thing was um, the, the, the civil law inside of Israel. Going back to that, within Israel, there, within the Bible, there's three laws. You have a moral law, you have a civil law, and you have a ceremonial law. And again, I'm going to go super theological here. A lot of people think that, you know, when Christ died, all those laws went away. And that's an antinomian means that there's no law. Then there's some people who think, okay, well, the civil law and the ceremonial law went away, but we still have the moral law. And that's most of what you'll find in the South is we still believe in the Ten Commandments and think that they're good. I, I would argue that the ceremonial law went away. And what a lot of the church confessions say, the 1689 Confession, the Westminster Confession, they say that the general equity found within Israel's civil code, the laws outlined in the, the way the, the laws that were given in Israel, that the general equity still applies. And what that means is, is that there's general equity inside of what God was telling Israel was good is good and what's bad is bad. And that, that all society should structure their laws, not one to one, because Israel's different than America. We're different. But the general equity found therein, and there's a, a specific example that's given when this is taught a lot, is they said that, um, you know, if you were on top of a, a, a house in Israel, um, you were supposed to have a parapet, okay? And if someone fell off the house and died and you didn't have a parapet, you would be, you know, on the hook for that person dying because you didn't take care. And so what you get from that, the general equity is you're responsible for the safety of the people on your property, right? And so then American law reflected that because it took the general equity, English common law, and then we said, okay, that's smart and that's wise and we're going to apply that. Anyway, Point being and all that, <clears throat> that is how our, our 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 laws and systems, this is where it came from. And the other thing that, that has been done in uh, is, is, is a, a doctrine called sphere sovereignty that was really, really big in the founding of our country. And that's that there's three governments. None is more powerful than the other. All three are submitted to God. And when they're all three submitted to God, um, th and then they function together well. And then they're always trying to battle for who has more power. And you can see it throughout history. But those, those spheres of power, those governments are the family government, the church government, and then the civil government, which is a civil magistrate. And we always think of, when we think of government, that's the civil magistrate, that's civil government. And so you can see throughout history, church battling with the state, who's more power? Is the, is the pope more powerful than the king? Is the king more powerful than the, you know, and, and you don't see it as much with the family. But what we're seeing is now because the, the, the church and the family aren't operating the way that we're supposed to, now the state is becoming king right? And, and like, it's Lord over everything rather than, anyway, I could go on and on and on about this stuff. But the point being is these spheres, if we have a right understanding of those things, we won't, like you said, be going to the state for permission. And specifically Christians, Christians are supposed to be able to say that you don't bring your, you don't bring your problems before the pagans. Like you don't bring them before the civil magistrate. We should be able to handle these things internally. And so my hope is that, um, you know, families who are going through these things, specifically if, if they become Christians in the process or they've repented and turned back to God, whatever, that they can really start to govern some of this stuff themselves and say, hey, you know, we got in a divorce. It was bad. It's happened. Here's the situation we are, but we should be able to figure this stuff out ourselves, right? That's like in a perfect scenario. I realize that that's not, you know, likely. And so anyway, I think I'm rambling at this point, but um, it's, it's just, it's tough. And I think what you're saying is it, it's tough. Divorce is not the answer. And I I really think if there was some way, <laughs> this is a terrible reference, but I remember sex education in high school and how they, they gave you all those, you know, 
horrible videos about like, you know, STDs and everything. And they were like, don't go out and, you know, in that same way, it's like, man, if there was some way to show people that are getting married when they're young, to sit down and talk to people who have gone through divorce and having to go through the court system and custody battles and child support and all this stuff. So people understood the gravity of the commitment that they were making when they enter into the solemn vows of marriage, that this is so much bigger than, you know, your pretty wedding dress and your pretty wedding venue and your honeymoon, right? It's so much bigger than that. And and no one thinks that way. And so they get into these marriages, they get frustrated six months in, a year in, two years in after they've maybe had a couple of kids. Well, I'm not happy anymore and I'm leaving. And then chaos. Yeah, it, it, it just comes down to something we've, we've heard that marriage is hard and divorce yeah. is hard. Yeah. So which hard do you want? Yeah. You know, and most of us, I think, would really would like to be happily married with a healthy family and the model that you saw from your parents and grandparents. And and sometimes you don't, that isn't your choice all the time. Sometimes the other person says, well, I don't care what you want. But mm-hmm. either way, life's full of decisions and most of them are hard. And it's figuring out which hard do I really want to fight for. Uh, right. Family becomes that hard. And I do think uh, one of the things I appreciate what you're trying to do is, and I get it that in family courts, they are so overrun with difficult situations that I think judges have a tendency to go, I ain't got time to get in the details on this. Here, mom, you, you know, you take the kid because that's the way it's done. Sorry, dad, you're left out. And what you're arguing is hey, take time to figure out that family relationship and really what that family dynamic ought to be like is what I'm right. hearing. Right. Well, the the two well three things is the bill that I presented uh, it does and it passed the Senate the last three years also is it required parents to submit a parenting plan to the court. So once again, putting the leaving the parenting decision into the hands of the parents. Whoa. We, we have never done crazy, that for crazy concept. Yeah, we have never done that. We had said, Judge, you God, you tell the parents how to work it out. I mean, what you how to work what's best for you for your child. And it's killing our state and country. So this required parents to submit a parenting plan. Yep. But the meat of it is, regardless of what the parenting plan says, the courts, you have to treat both parents at the equal at only equal level playing fields and make sure you create a balanced relationship where the child have both parents in, in, uh, in their lives. And then this, and if you do something different, it requires the courts to write down why. This is uh, just unbelievable. The courts can do anything, and they don't have to explain why. Mm, yeah. Uh, several years ago, I was at a public hearing in uh, in the Senate. It was dealing with uh, uh, probationary. You know, uh, for you, you commit a crime, you kill someone. Uh, if you don't pre- uh, up for probation and they deny your probation, they have to tell you why. I said, wait, these people is huh. PDs. Prisoners, and then now fit parents, the courts tell you, okay, you can't see a child or only see a child every other weekend, and I'm not going to explain you why, because I said so. And so I'll be able to require that the courts at least justify why you're doing yeah. something, because if we don't put our kids on these pathways, on the data, on these pathways of harm, you need to write down why. And there will be situations where it's valid, you know, once again, drugs, abuse, or harm, but absent of that, the goal is to create a balanced relationship with kids. And the judges, they do do need discretion. That's the biggest pushback. Some courts saying we need, need discretion. Well, there's 19 factors in the bill that the judge to consider uh, for give them guidelines to follow. It's not mandating, but give them guidelines. And the last factor to consider is kind of a dangerous factor, but once again, it says any other relevant factor. 
That means anything else that the judge think of, they can do. But we are saying we have a new model. Instead of adversarial winner loser, it's creating a presumption of joint custody is best for kids. And then give the court broad discretion to go either direction. But we also require you to explain why you're doing what you're doing. And why is that important? If we want to see less violence, less crime, less behavior problems in our schools, and we want the next generation to know what love is, and what you talked about earlier, the problem we have is not only the identity crisis, but we have, we're teaching kids, we're not teaching them what love is. If you have to suppress one half of your DNA, your love, you can grow up getting a relationship, but it's not going to last long because you haven't been taught what that is. So, so this is bigger than just changing the law. This is talking about taking the next generation, about 40,000 kids each year, and teaching them what scriptures tell us, love, love one another. And I think we can, if we do that, I think seven, eight years later, we will reap the benefits here in Alabama. Kenneth, let me ask you, just argument's sake, I was going to ask it about you personally, but I'm not going to because I don't want to put you on a spot. But I, I'm a, uh, let's say I'm a dad. I'm going through that situation. The court has really limited my interaction with my kids. What do I do or what do you encourage fathers to do to maintain that relationship even when they are limited to that two weekends a month? Uh, obviously, I, w- I would think that you found a way to maintain a relationship with your daughter beyond what the minimum requirement was. Well, it's tough because it's almost like you, you dig a grave and you, you, they push you in it and then throw dirt on top of you. And then how do you reach your hand up and try to get air so you can breathe? Yeah. And then because it's paralyzing. Um, I don't care how strong you are with a mom and dad. If you relegate it and you, which once again, this is given by God. That's a gift. And then now you're saying you're not worthy for no reason. And so I see a lot of, unfortunately, we've not, we see a lot of men have, they commit suicide. You don't hear about it on the, but we, the kids commit suicide too. And as a mother, the mothers that's being flipped, the lawyers teaching dad how to win mm-hmm. and moms are losing. So what yeah, to tell ways. people is uh, unconditional love. You have to be created to show that unconditional love, knowing that it may not be returned because the child have to survive too. And so uh, just try to stay involved as much as you can and, um, and stay prayed up. I have become, I became closer to the Lord during my turbulence, you know, in my, my, divorce and some is worse than others but um yeah just stay prayed up when you have time with your child's even though it's limited amount of time make sure it's quality time mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes uh it's difficult because it's almost like having having a dog you see a dog only a couple times a month you have to give them treats for them to you know want to like you right and that's what we have created a generation of kids that want treats yeah uh, mm-hmm. because and and uh, but but like I said, uh, uh, here's the good news. Uh, we have this is election season uh, in the House. We're going to have probably about thirty new uh, House representatives. We're having we have a different speakers, uh, House Pro Tem, Rouge Chair, and this is a perfect opportunity uh, for us to start talking about. Let's look at policies that's going to make a difference for the people for the next yeah. generation. And one thing I and last thing I know we know we close to our time here. One thing I shared with our chairman um, uh, of the Republican Party, I look at all the resolutions we have passed over the last decade. Not one is focused on restoring the family. Mm. We deal with symptoms. Yep. And so this legislation is going to talk about restoring the family. 
And then we're not going to see the benefits overnight, but I truly believe uh, nine or 10 years from now, we will reap the, reap the benefits because whether you divorce or not, or you're, you know, your kids, if you have kids, they don't grow up and marry someone. Yeah. And we don't want them to marry someone, a kid that was traumatized because hurt people hurt people. Mm. And um, so just want to uh, just close with just saying thank you guys for having a conversation yeah. about uh, it is the root. Dude, we talk about the root problem. There's no federal money to support this concept. Yeah. You only get federal money for symptoms. But I think there's some things that you that's, that's, you know you cannot put money or price tag on it. This is talking about getting back to the biblical teachings and uh, putting things in order that God created. Kids need both their parents, the mother and the father. If we continue to turn sideways on this issue, we would continue to see more kids having an identity crisis and growing up trying to determine whether they're a boy or a girl and so forth. I think all these are symptoms because we as a Christian body has turned our backs on the Lord. Yeah. And scripture tell us just just turn back. Turn yeah. back to the Lord. Repent. Yeah. All right. Well, that does do it. Uh, I think I'll summarize too, and kind of what I've heard you saying is is legislation. We can't we can't legislate our way out of this. Legislation isn't the solution, but it is a it's a backstop so that we can really get to that deep cultural work, right? And I think that everything that you outlined is really um, really good, and, and and wish you well uh, on your pursuits. Uh, well, thank thank you so much, there, and Ray. Good to see you as always. See you too. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Well, thank you guys again. Uh, again, make sure you sign up, 1819news.com. Subscribe, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Subscribe there. Until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Mm-hmm.